If we as Christians want our own great creative works, we'll need to be the ones producing them. That means families raising up children to value careers in the arts. What does this look like in practice? Well, today I'm joined by my wife, Naomi A. Russell, to share how we've been doing this with our own four children. From homeschooling to public school to musical theater and dance classes, we will explore how Christians can better engage faithfully in the world and in the arts. Welcome to Fantastical Truth, the podcast from lorehaven.com. I'm Zachary Russell, sitting in the captain's chair today because Stephen is out of town, and I have a much prettier co-host sitting across from me. And I'm Naomi A. Russell, Zachary's beloved wife and a lover of the arts, specifically the performing arts. And this is episode 167, How Can Christian Parents Train Their Kids to Become Fantastic Creators? Yeah, and it's just ironic that I would marry someone who loves musical theater because I've never been that much into musicals, and I get stage fright, even being an extrovert and a big, loud Texan. uh, I do not like to be in the spotlight. Which is also another stereotype that's not true because I am a total introvert, and I love the spotlight. And our introverted second daughter, our middle daughter, completely introverted, but loves the spotlight now, too. So you don't have to be an extrovert to be a theatrical person or enjoy performing theater. Yep. And anyone can love the arts. And we're going to talk about all different kinds of careers and options and hobbies and different ways we can be involved in the arts as families today. Our first sponsor is a title from Enclave Publishing called Estuary, the first book in the new Oceans of Time series by Lisa T. Berggren. History major Luciana Betterini takes a summer job alongside her twin, Domenico, as a period actor in Castillo Ferrelli in Italy. As incoming college seniors, this might be their last chance to spend meaningful time together, so she's soaking up every minute. But when Nico's theory that their lost Betterini relatives have traveled through time becomes potentially real and they might be able to follow, Lucy fears they'll be forever divided. Return to the world first explored in Lisa T. Berggren's best-selling River of Time series, in Estuary, book one in the Oceans of Time series, now available wherever fantastic books are sold, also available in audio from Oasis Audio. Well, we're going to stop by the concession stand, but uh, please keep all your snacks in the lobby. They're not allowed in the theater today. (laughs) Uh, We're going to be talking about the arts broadly, uh, not not just theater, not just fiction, uh, but all kinds of storytelling and artistic endeavors. And we're going to be talking about arts, not just as like, hey, everyone should watch movies and read books and listen to music, but everyone should be part of creating things artistically in some way. Uh, This doesn't mean everyone should go into the arts as a full-time career or even choose that as a college major, but we want to challenge you, our listener, to consider that uh, for yourself or for your children, perhaps. And we're going to talk about arts in the relationship or... Uh, sort of their conflict a little bit with the STEM field, uh, but we are not anti-STEM. Naomi and I both have engineering degrees, and we'll get into that later. And uh, we uh, we talked last week about the chosen and how there was this controversy about a non-Christian crew member and non-Christian actors, uh, part of this film about the life of Christ and the disciples. You know, our thesis is not that 
there should only be Christians working on films. But the reality is that hiring non-Christians for Christian filmmaking and storytelling is a necessity because not enough Christians are working at a high caliber in the arts. And so that's a problem that we want to see solved uh, in this generation, hopefully. And we're going to look at some different ways that we can do that. Uh, Naomi, any thoughts uh, about The Chosen and kind of our discussion about that last week and how it relates to this week? Yes. Well, I loved everything you and Stephen said about The Chosen and what you just said right here, that the reality is if you're going to make a high caliber film, you have to have non-Christians working with you, whether they are actors or crew members. Because as you said, it's, it's largely an industry that is devoid of Christian influence. And that's something that we would really like to see change and like to see more Christians pursuing the arts. It is a very um, dark area and dark segment of our society. I mean, especially if you look and see what Hollywood is pushing and what they're producing right now. It's an area that needs more gospel witness. So let's go into our first chapter. We need more Christians in the arts. And uh, and we don't just need adults. We need uh, children, teenagers, uh, people yet to be born. We need it to be a generational project. Um, if you've listened to this podcast at length, you know that we are big supporters of being sub-creators with the Lord. That that is our calling as believers. That we have we all have the cultural mandate to go out and create things for God's glory. And from the very beginning, God gave artistic skills to his people to use in an expression of worship to him. Uh, we often talk about the uh, passage in Exodus 33, or sorry, Exodus 31, uh, verse 3, where God says, This is Bezalel, who I have given mm-hmm. uh, the Spirit of the Lord to perform many artistic skills. Um, so God is the one that bestows artistic skill and gives artistic assignments. Christians being involved in the arts is just part of God's plan. Like this isn't something that we are tacking on as fantastical truth. We are pointing uh, you, our listener to scripture. Uh, But uh, you know, and secondarily the arts shape culture. They just do like every culture in the world has been shaped by its artists. And our culture today is shaped very much by uh, all kinds of art. And that in turn shapes many other things. And, I think a lot of things are really downstream from art. Yeah. And we we tend to focus a little too much, I think, in our culture on the things that are downstream. And that's why we have a 24-hour, you know, cable news cycles about all this. Uh, but as you said, Naomi, you know, the arts in our culture, and, and we're talking about the U.S., uh, the arts are often dark places. So you kind of opened up with that. What do you want to say about that? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, you just need to pop in any Hollywood movie and you don't have to be surprised that it's a dark place. And I think that's why The Chosen is such a surprise hit and success because it is a positive storytelling about the Lord and it's not dark and there's nothing we would disagree with. You know, you contrast that with like a movie I never saw, but Noah, you know, I've heard that that was horribly unbiblical, but even Aside from Bible stories, the stories that it seems like almost every new movie, my older girls and I are like, oh, there was a lesbian love story. Oh, there's this. Oh, there's that. There's just the agenda that Hollywood is trying to push on us and on our kids. And it's very dark and it needs more 
missionaries, so to speak, going into these dark places and being willing to push back against the darkness and create positive art instead of just allowing our Christian families to be consumers of very dark art. Yeah. You know, you, you mentioned uh, kind of illicit romances in television, and this has been going on for a long time in a lot of different forms. Um, I can think of a lot of television shows I just had to stop watching because even though they were about really cool things like, uh, you know, Navy SEALs or space explorers or whatever, the entire story kind of took a detour into some affair, just, just regular plain old adultery, uh, being presented as a, as a okay thing. And, you know, maybe there's some complications for the characters, but it's like, no one seems to mind really that these things are happening. And, And that's just one example. There's, all kinds of ways that characters disobey the Lord and and seem to suffer no consequences. And I think that's really the dividing line is that stories that are created without a Christian worldview, any kind of story is going to have sin in it because there's conflict and, and people are, you know, human and fallen. The problem is so much of secular storytelling, it, it presents all of these, well, sinful choices in, in sort of a neutral or even a positive way. Yeah, I agree. I remember one show we had to stop watching on Prime because it would look like this really fun spy show rated TV 14, so it should be fine. There were multiple F-bombs in every single episode, like, and that was the only curse word that any character would use. And I was like, I just, I cannot absorb this much bad language. But there's also, I mean, not only in television, but, you know, in children's books, I've been talking with my littles, they've been on the magic treehouse kick. But there's it's not written from a Christian perspective. And every time Jack and Annie go off on the magic treehouse, they never tell their mom where they're going. There's some white lies, some outright lies there. And then when they come back, they agree to not tell their parents because they think that they won't believe them. And so I have had to remind my littles as you are reading these stories, because Otherwise, they are great stories. They teach history very well. You know, Jack and Annie go back to an actual time period, and it's a fun way for kids to learn about history. But there's this element of go have an adventure without your parents there. And that's something I feel is very negative and very prevalent, not only in children's books, but also in children's movies, that after we watch something that has a film or the film where the parents are portrayed as total idiots or disconnected and the kids are doing stuff without the parents or oh like the little mermaid daddy was wrong ariel's right she got her happy ending you know there's all these media push whether it's books or tv children it's just putting kids against the parents kids know better than parents kids can have an adventure without the parents dividing children from their parents that would be something that i would consider to be a very dark theme because it sets children up for teenage rebellion So you need to start at the beginning and deconstruct this with your kids and say, look at what this is pushing on you. And let's talk about who loves you most, mom and dad. Who wants to be involved in adventure with you, mom and dad? Who can you come talk to about anything, mom and dad? You know, like pushing back against those. But I do love, you know, the Christian counterpart to Magic Treehouse is the Imagination Station. And Mr. Whitaker is always there overseeing the kids. He's the grown-up kind of in charge. Parental permission, I guess, is implied, but it's not kids going off without any grown-up being involved. Yeah, I, it's easy to look at the um, the things that get the 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 more mature ratings on a television show or a movie, 
But you're right. It's often this more subtle thing that families can't be trusted. Families are not safe places. You need to go find a new family uh, where you are accepted, affirmed, or given some adventure that your parents would never give you because they're boring old uh, crustaceans. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, it's a very subtle message. And, you know, I always think about what's going on in the writer's room on these television shows or in these, you know, publishing houses or just in the, uh, you know, kind of the director's chair, like what's going through everyone's head when they're putting this story together? Are are they thinking about the implications or do they just kind of take it for granted that, yeah, you know, families aren't, aren't good. Right. (laughs) is, Is it just something they operate from unconsciously or is it something they are trying to attack you know i don't know but the bottom line is from what i can see there don't seem to be enough christians in that space to influence those Mm -hmm. decisions enough i know that there are christians in hollywood i know that there are christians in publishing and music and all different kinds of art form but it seems like it's a very small amount it seems like it's a very minority voice and you think about just if you've ever been in an environment maybe it's a business maybe it's a school maybe it's just some other kind of club you've been in if you've ever been in a place where christians were the majority there's a totally different atmosphere that happens it doesn't mean that no one sins or that everyone right. just magically becomes a christian but the the values shift like the norms shift we're we're going to talk a little bit later uh, Naomi about a short film you and I helped produce, and there was just this moment where said, or someone said, "Does no one cuss?" <laughs> right, <laughs> because right. we're the lead all, actor. yeah, pretty much mm-hmm. all of the the crew uh, and some of the cast were Christians, and yeah. so that really made an impression that that we had that kind of self control and that grace and that love and that patience with one another, and so, but but think about the inverse when when there's only one or two Christians, uh, their values are not going to be represented. That's that's just how it is. It's very hard to be the only or one of only a few Christians in one of these creative spaces. Right, which is why we need more Christians entering into them and yeah. being able to speak and even producing original content. You know, I love how Chosen, the Chosen has um, kind of torn down the Hollywood gatekeepers. Yeah. You know, this whole crowdfunding phenomenon we don't need. And it had been very hard for Christians to break into and past this Hollywood culture. But now it's like, wow, they're able to do it without the Hollywood gatekeepers stopping them. Yeah. Well, the next point I want to talk about here is that our culture has been on a STEM craze for the last few decades. So it's science, technology, engineering, mathematics. Now, these are all things that Naomi and I love that we'll get into more in our, our chapter math. two. Yep. Love math. <laughs> Not many people say that. Uh, I love physics. That was one of my favorite classes in high school and uh i was in a physics calculus ap class my uh last year of high school and just some amazing times in that class uh but you know we have to recognize that what gets the money nowadays in schools what gets the prestige at a university yeah it's not the arts it's not the humanities it's the stem now was there a time when this was definitely appropriate? Well, sure. In the the space race, in the Cold War, uh, even some, you know, we hit some different breaking points with uh, microelectronics 
and just other kinds of breakthroughs technologically. Well, of course, it makes a lot of sense to invest a lot of our cultural capital in these things that are, you know, helping our own country become the dominant, you know, whatever economy in the world. So I, I can understand why our political leadership, cultural leadership is really pushing this. A, a lot of other countries are doing this too, right? So there's kind of the geopolitical competition. But I sometimes wonder, well, why are we doing this now? Like, where are we going? I mean, I love all the new electronics that come out every year, but really, do we need a iPhone 38, you know, or, or Android Galaxy, sorry, Samsung Galaxy 62 or whatever, you know? What is it that we are pushing towards, or is it all going towards this uh, transhumanism that a lot of people are worried about, where you you get the phone inside your brain instead of in your hand? Are we going to this AI future where everything is automated and there's artificial intelligent toasters? <laughs> Can you tell he's a sci-fi <laughs> author? My mind never would go there, but that's right. where his is going. Yeah, but my point is we seem to be in the cycle now of progress for its own sake like technological change without any sort of goal in mind other than just better and newer technology and more advanced everything. Uh, I, I just don't see any sort of national goal or really transcendent goal for a lot of this. Again, not, not that any of this is bad and we'll get into that more, but that is where we find ourselves right now. We find ourselves in this obsession with the sciences to the exclusion of the arts. And that's really the problem is that second part to the exclusion of the arts. I have seen this acronym a lot steam where they try to put an A. In oh, the middle. I know. I'm like, what the <laughs> art, it, it doesn't fit. Sorry. Right. Thanks for trying people, but you're, it's not working. Yeah. And then it's yeah. even funny to think about that. Cause I'm like, Oh, we're going back to steam engines and right. uh, we're, we're right. going to go backwards in technology. Well, a lot of people would like to go back to that. And that's why steampunk exists as a genre. But the reason why we need a focus on the arts even more now is because we're entering now this digital realm that feels so uh, dehumanized and very soulless at times. And, And this isn't just me saying this. There is so much commentary I read all the time about how our digital technology is, is turning us into the Borg, you know, turning us into something less than human. And so much of what's being built in the high tech world it has very little to no input from the humanities there there's there's a really simple version of this there's a uh, a twitter account i follow called dark patterns and what dark patterns looks at is these deceptive design practices particularly with like user interface design so it's sort of like we've all seen the pop up ad where there's like a giant button that clicks like you know learn more or you know, show me this product or something. And then there's like a tiny little X in the corner, right? That like, you can't even see it. It's just like so small, but even just normal things in like an operating system, a program where it kind of tricks you into clicking something because it's not really sure. It's not really clear what the choices are. Um, Dark patterns has so many great examples of this where it's like the humanities are almost being warped or weaponized. Like these design choices are being used not in a way that's serving people, but tricking mm. people and manipulating people. Interesting. There's been a whole expose about uh, some of the major social media networks and how they have literally hired people from the casino yes. industry yes. to design their interfaces to work exactly like a slot machine. Mm-hmm. 
in in so many different ways. There's like 20 different ways that they've done this. It's really fascinating to look at. And so all that, you, you put all that together, and again, it's like we're getting progress for its own sake, more immersion into this digital world for its own sake, without any sense of like, what is this doing to our own humanity? I, I saw the story recently of these uh, four friends that are like in their 20s, and when they go out to dinner or when they go out to a movie or a concert, they leave their smartphones behind. And they switch to dumb phones that they have, or they just maybe one person has a phone and they're like the designated texter or something like that, <laughs> a designated driver. <laughs> designated driver. <laughs> yeah. And so that's really interesting to me that Generation Z is figuring this out that like yeah. I can't handle any more of this, this tech yes. stuff. Yes. Well, I loved, um, was watching this show that highlighted some. Jewish people and one woman observes the Sabbath by going completely unplugged and she just turns off everything electronic. And I thought that is a beautiful thing for us, even as Christians to do, to have one day a week when there is no digital content whatsoever, because it is a soul sapper for sure. It's not life giving. And truthfully, I am off social media and loving every minute of it. <laughs> it's so great. Oh, this this whole episode may turn into a marital discussion. We will, <laughs> we shall see. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I as much as I love having a Kindle, I I've really fallen in love more with physical books because I can't do anything else with a physical book, and I don't have to charge it, and I don't have to worry about the the font setting getting messed up or the firmware updates. Um, you know, it's just so great to go analog once in a while. Yes. Um, it's great to just go on a walk without headphones in and just enjoy the sounds of nature. Um, our oldest daughter has been doing this lately. She likes to go for bike rides and walks and uh, doesn't want to take her phone because she doesn't want any sort of pressure to respond to anything, a mm-hmm. text message. And of course being her father and, you know, she's in, She's a teenager. She's she's sixteen. I you know I want her to have a phone just so right. she can in case she you know get, get emergency or whatever. Uh, but I I really love that she has that impulse. Like I just need to go analog for a while. But you know it's not just about removing technology from our lives as much as it is about adding other things. About adding music and stories and art and beauty back in our, our lives. Um, there's so much more to us than just our productivity functions, which is mostly what technology is. Technology is mostly an extension of ourselves. It's, it's, they're they're tools that we use to improve our lives, uh, to extend our consciousness, to extend our reach and basically be more productive or so we think, uh, but that's not all that we're meant to do. We're not just meant to be doing things. We're meant to be, experiencing the life that God has given us and exploring beauty in this world. And that's what uh, the arts are for. And what, you know, what we hope to see is more art that is reflecting a Christian worldview. Yeah. You know, going back to earlier about content and movies, let's just take a quick detour to talk about a Christian movie. Uh, Fireproof, the Kirk Cameron movie came out, what, 10, 15 years ago. And it's about a marriage that is very broken uh, there's trust that's been lost. There's uh, different forms of adultery that are happening. So you've got all the elements that are in a lot of secular programming, 
except that they repent and that they turn around Mm -hmm. and they rebuild their marriage. They don't just abandon their marriage. They don't just abandon their morals. They are trying to restore their vows. And look, we're not going to critique that movie at all, but just the message of that. Yeah. How rare is that to find in a movie? And, and even like, you know, it's, it's such a rare thing that, Every now and then there's like a secular movie that accidentally affirms something like right. the, the good of marriage or the good of, of, chill, of childbearing and, and uh, parenthood. And, you know, we sit up and take notice of that. So th- this is why we need more Christians in, in all of these spaces. And, and yes, we even need to be making our own stories, uh, which we uh, will get into in a little bit. Our second sponsor is The Author Conservatory. Are you a Christian student who loves writing but thinks it could never go anywhere because you've been told that writers can't make any money? Well, you've been told wrong. The Author Conservatory provides an alternative to the, quote, starving artist by training students to become entrepreneurs and writers at the same time. This three-year college alternative program offers personal coaching from industry professionals like Kara Swanson, Steve Lobby, S.D. Grimm, and Katie Phillips along with mentorship from successful entrepreneurs so that you can hone your writing craft and create a realistic business plan. To learn more and apply for a free consultation, simply visit authorconservatory.com. Well, now let's go to chapter two, where Naomi and I are going to talk about our own journeys through the arts. And as I mentioned earlier, we both have engineering degrees from college. So I have a bachelor's degree in telecommunications engineering technology, so basically uh, IT kind of stuff. And uh, Naomi, you want to tell about your degree, but also I, I want to hear about, let's tell our listeners more about your experience in theater. Sure. I have I graduated cum laude with a Bachelor of Science in Mechanical Engineering from Colorado State University. But even as I was in that field, I was kind of starving for the arts at points, and Um, I would walk through the art building just to stop and appreciate the fine art and kind of fill my soul because it was my classes were so obviously STEM heavy and completely focused on that. And I felt um, very devoid of the arts in that season of my life. But also during that time, my church had a wonderful drama program and I was trained in drama ministry and starred in several church plays. And so I did get my creative fix there. I have done theater since elementary, musical theater in high school and the college ministry. It was a little bit, there were some, some songs in our productions, but it was mostly theater as ministry, which I loved. And then when I joined staff with the ministry we're currently with, I was able to write some short plays that teams performed. There was one for an all-campus prayer when I was on staff at Oregon State that I got to write, direct, and produce. I was calling light cues backstage, and it was really fun. It was really fun to be in charge of all of that. And since then, I've kind of dabbled in different directing things. I also do casting for when... um, Zach and his team do a short film. I've worked as the casting director because I can spot acting talents. And of course, I'm an acting coach and encouraging our older two daughters and their love for the theatrical arts. So that's been really fun, too, to help them with their auditions and help run lines with them and help improve their performances. But yes, my love is theater. I also love going to a good art museum. 
and looking at fine art. And of course, I love, because I am married to a filmmaker slash writer, I have learned to critique um, stories and appreciate a really well-written story, whether it's a well-written script or a well a well-written book. Yeah. So as I mentioned, I went to college to study telecommunications. And when I was a junior, that was uh, early 2000s. And that was when our campus started installing Wi-Fi for the first time ever. So this was back when you had to get a special card, a PCMCIA card that you'd insert into your laptop to get Wi-Fi. This was before smartphones. And it was just a groundbreaking thing that I don't have to plug my laptop into the wall somewhere. And we're all <laughs> fighting over the one Ethernet jack. Oh we can all get on the Internet. Wow. Uh, so that was really exciting. Uh, that was my uh, like my summer job in college was putting all those devices into our engineering buildings. This was at Texas A&M University. And the really funny thing about this building was the building itself was constructed before electricity. <laughs> And so all of the electrical wow. outlets were like added on into all of the classrooms. It was like this solid brick, you know, concrete building, not a very pretty building, uh, to be honest. And it still had asbestos ceilings in certain places. And that was a real nightmare when we were trying to work around all that. This project that we did installing this Wi-Fi network, what I was the most interested in was coming up with an interactive diagram that I created with Adobe Flash. So it was like a special website that you could go to and you could like click on all the little Wi-Fi beacons and turn them on and off and see kind of where they covered uh, or where they gave like internet coverage in the building. Because uh, what my uh, teammates and I did is we had these little special meters that we walked around with, like a little thing that was kind of like a calculator. And we, we would measure the signal strength in every you know, corner of every room in that building. And so we kind of mapped out, okay, where do we need to put this, you know, access point? Where do we need to put that one? Where do we need to run the wiring? But my favorite thing was creating that interactive map and having like different like color coding. That was just really fun. And then my senior design project, I really loved doing the presentation for that. Again, it was another like interactive website. It was a bunch of PowerPoint stuff. I, I just love bringing a little bit of beauty <laughs> into something very technical, mm-hmm. br- bringing something kind of fun uh, into the whole process. And so I, I totally resonate with what you said, Naomi, about going to engineering class, but wanting to kind of go through the art museum, you know, a little <laughs> more virtual in my case. Oh, I literally walked yeah. <laughs> through the art building. <laughs> yeah. You know, before I went to college for this major, I, I really had no idea what I wanted to go to college for. I was... I loved physics and calculus, like I said. I did not like biology and chemistry. I was not very good at those subjects. I liked math, but calculus was very hard for me. So I I chose the major where you got done after Calc 2, which you're shaking your head because I know you (laughs) love calculus. Like Yes. (laughs) Calc 2 is the hardest. Calc 3 and differential equations were easier than Calc 2. It's a well-known fact among engineering majors. I had to take Calc 2 a couple (laughs) times to pass it. So anyway, that was really hard for me. But before I chose that major, I well, originally I I went to college for computer engineering, not really knowing what that was or what it would look like. But before that, when I took the SAT in high school, you could put in like, three colleges you're applying to. And so the results would be sent to those universities. And then you could also put, 
here is the major I'm considering. And I put creative writing. (laughs) So all through high school, I had tried to write a fantasy novel. I got really into the Wheel of Time before that, the Shannara series before that, the Dragonlance series before that, the Lord of the Rings. And I wasn't really into sci-fi very much back then, except for Star Trek and Star Wars. But I loved fantasy novels, and I several times tried to write a fantasy book. And so I thought, maybe I should do this in college. This is what I love to do. But I started thinking about the whole starving artist you know, stereotype. How am I going to support myself as a full-time writer? How am I going to sell enough books to make a living? So I chickened out. And I went into engineering. (laughs) Which is not a phrase most people say, (laughs) but it makes sense. Yeah. And ever since then, I've been trying to get back into the creative writing space. Right. And ironically, neither one of us has ever worked as an engineer. Well, I guess you had an internship one summer. Right. But we haven't because we're both in full-time ministry. So, yes. Yep. The Lord changed our heart yet again in that but I, I would like to say, as far as my background, like I love math and differential equations was the last math class I took. And after that, it was just specific engineering where we would use algebra, calculus, whatever in our calculations. And I was sad on my last day of differential equations. I was like, math has been such an important part of my life and now I can't take it anymore. And so I am someone who... and. You know, former homeschool mom, where it's like, oh, let me teach you algebra. I'm so excited. And it was even like when my oldest was in middle school, it was bad because she was just in tears and like, I just don't love math as much as you do, mom. (laughs) And, you know, like she thought that I was pressuring her to be as excited about math, which I never intended to. But even though I love math, and honestly, if I had to do it all over again, I would have majored in math and minored in Japanese and not majored in mechanical engineering. Um, knowing the trajectory of my life, I used to be a missionary in Japan, that, that's what I would have studied, knowing I was going to join this ministry that, that we did. But even with that, there's still the appreciation for the arts in me and the longing for the arts, the longing to participate in or just appreciate really good art. So I don't want anyone listening to hear us that everyone should be creative because, and everyone should be creating specific content Because God has designed people differently, and we need the people in the STEM majors who are designed that way, and they know who they are, but it doesn't mean just because you love a STEM field or some aspect of that, that you cannot also be an appreciator or even a creator of the arts or have an artistic hobby on the side. Yeah, well, like you said, I went from a creative writing aspirational major to an actual engineering major to now a career in ministry, uh, which started as a missionary overseas where we met. And uh, that's a whole other podcast episode for another day. (laughs) (laughs) We met in a convenience store in Thailand. Yes. Long story short. Part part of a missions conference. (laughs) Before I went on that mission trip, I was starting to get involved with the video team at my church. We made these really crazy retreat opener videos that were kind of mashups of different popular movies. We did a whole Dumb and Dumber parody one year. And uh, when I went on that mission trip uh, for a couple of years in Asia, uh, my favorite thing to do was was creating videos that we used in ministry or that videos I created with uh, with students over there that we were, you know, reaching with the gospel. And then we would, I would go have fun with them making a video. After we got married, we moved to the U.S. and uh, 
We did a campus ministry for a while. Again, I, I tried to find ways to make short films that we could use in ministry yes. and that involve students in. And now, uh, as of 2010, that basically basically became my full-time role within our ministry is, is videography and filmmaking. Uh, because, number one, there weren't very many people doing this. Like, yeah. I, I kept seeing a need for this. I kept seeing projects that our ministry wanted to create, but there weren't very many people doing these because it's it's kind of more of a behind-the-scenes operational role. It's not the kind of front and center, you know, bleeding edge of the mission field type thing. It's, it's you know, in, in the ministry world, it, it's sort of invisible. So a lot of people just don't see it happening. But also, it, it's not one of those things that maybe everyone thinks about there being a need for. Uh, but we've or had, has the ability to yeah. do. Like, let's be honest, what you do for our ministry, you have a very unique skill set. You are very gifted because you are a creator and you have this technological talent. So you're able to merge both. Like, you are my tech hero. As you know, many times you have saved me from so many epic tech disasters. <laughs> yeah. And you're able to merge your technical skills with your creative skills and bless our larger ministry on a larger scale because you're a technologically inclined artist. So again, I feel like it's a blending of the STEM world with artistry. You know, you're not just a computer programmer, you're creating art that requires technical skills. Yeah. And, you know, and that's the unique thing about the moment we find our in. That is the unique thing about the cultural moment we find ourselves in that I can create something completely now from a phone that someone and another continent can watch with their phone or listen to with their phone. And of course we use a little better tools than that, but this is how technology can be a really good thing. It just has to be paired with that more transcendent purpose than just creating content just to hold people's attention. You know, and my goal though is, is often to create more than I consume uh, because I think that is just what gives me life. And that's what, uh, I, I know is just going to be a, a better purpose for what I have. And I would just like to say, that's not my goal. I'm not a creator. I I have more of a role of an improver. So with what Zach creates, I speak into it and I help him improve it. And it's okay if you are not a creator, but there are those who are. And if you are, then do it to the glory of God. Create more than you consume to God's glory. Well, that was a quick tour through our own background from high school to college and adulthood, and I hope that has given you, our listener, a little insight into how the arts were kind of woven into our stories. We're going to talk in Chapter 3 about how we are trying to weave in the arts to our children's lives, but first we've got one more sponsor. That brings us to our third sponsor. The Lorehaven Summer Reading Challenge has begun. If you love Christian-made fantastical fiction and you want something different than what the library might offer this summer, this challenge is for you. We want this challenge to bring friends and families together over a shared love of old classics and new favorites. Whether you're a busy young professional looking for beach reads, a student needing summer reading material, or a homeschool mom looking to keep the kids' shelves stocked, Lorehaven has found a story to inspire you. We can't wait to have you join us. Check the show notes for the link. Now let's go to our third and final chapter where the rubber meets the road. And this is where Naomi and I are going to talk about how we raise children who value the arts. 
So one of the first things we did in our family was get piano lessons for all of our kids uh, at a pretty young age for each of them. Uh, We were very blessed to have a piano that's been in my family for about 100 years. This was my great-grandmother's piano that she played at the church where my great-grandfather was the pastor. And I played this piano as a kid, um, and now all four of them have played it. I didn't play like formally for very long as a kid, but I always played off and on, and I loved uh, not only studying like the classical music, but also creating my own music. Uh, what our kids love to do is uh, play movie soundtracks and also worship songs. Yeah, and uh, they love to just figure things out by ear. Uh, our oldest uh, daughter and our our son, they particularly like to play by ear. I loved playing by ear as a kid. But speaking of our oldest, we mentioned earlier how you know, she was kind of getting peer pressure uh, from, I guess, classmates and others to go into a STEM field. Uh, she's not naturally one to seek out math like Naomi, but she does really good in math and she does good in science. She's just a very... She's an excellent student. Yeah. She studies really hard, uh, but that was not really her passion. And so we said, look, you don't have to go into a STEM major. And because one of the things we started noticing is that uh, from a very early age, what she loved was costuming. Well, I just want to say that our oldest is definitely my artist. And um, for her to go into a STEM career would be soul crushing. (laughs) And I, you know, when she told me about these comments made like, oh, you're so smart. Oh, you have such good grades. Why aren't you taking AP Physics? Why aren't you taking AP Calculus? And she's like, I don't want to. Like, why would you take AP Calculus if you wanted to go into the arts? So it was very interesting that she was getting peer pressure because of the cultural emphasis on STEM. It kind of surprised me. But, you know, we had to talk through that and just say no. I mean, and our oldest really is our most gifted artist. Whatever she tries she succeeds at if it's watercolor it's beautiful calligraphy amazing embroidery incredible you know i have a framed acrylic painting that she painted when she was 11 in my dining room of a palm tree on a beach in hawaii and it's amazing people can't believe she painted that when she was 11 but also as zach said playing by ear singing worship songs that she figures out on her own and Musical theater, the arts, dance, like anything. This is a child who I definitely would not want to see go into some sort of a career just for the security of a paycheck. Yeah, and the really fun thing about that painting was a friend of ours in Hawaii offered to buy it. And she said, well, I don't really want to give it up, so I'll just paint another one. Right, right. (laughs) And she did another one really close to that one. It's of a really famous beach in Hawaii. Now, we, we do say that She's our most gifted one, but, you know, she's really experimented the most, probably out of all the kids, mainly just because of being older. Uh, Just, you know, being the oldest kid, you obviously have more experience, you have more years under your belt. But uh, as I said a minute ago, what she really loves is costuming. So I noticed this from a very early age with her that this one day I took her to Walgreens and I said, okay, you can pick out any toy you want. (laughs) I don't know why I said that at Walgreens, it's not like they have a huge toy selection. Uh, It was just something fun we did for that day. And she picked out a uh, high heels, a purse and sunglasses. Yes. And so (laughs) she wanted to be this character (laughs) that she had created in her mind. Yeah. And pretty, pretty early on for Halloween, this became a regular thing where she would, for months, she would plan out what 
costume and what character she wanted to be for Halloween. One of the earliest ones I remember was um, the female character from Despicable Me 2, Lucy. Yeah. The secret agent. She was really young, and she figured out that costume on her own. Yeah, the lipstick taser and everything. Yes. And then um, two years ago, I took her with me to Realm Makers, the writers' conference for uh, Christian writers of fantasy, science fiction, and beyond. And her favorite thing about that conference was the costume contest. It was sort of like a cosplay mm-hmm. deal. It was part of the award ceremony. Yes. And uh, our daughter, well, she dressed me and her up as characters from Wreck-It Ralph. So I was Wreck-It Ralph with gigantic arms and legs and the whole, you know, hobo-looking uh uh, overalls, and then she was Vanellope, and you played it up very well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and so she had the like kind of fake little candy things in her hair, and you know she even got the the pose and the face facial expressions down. And so, you know, she's really found a home in musical theater for all of these reasons. And I just want to say. We took her to Wellmakers as we're talking about, like, raising our kids to explore the arts, to try different things, see what's a good fit in them. We decided, you know, let's take her to Wellmakers to see, is she interested in fiction? Is she interested in writing this? And she attended some seminars, but she spent almost all of her free time creating this costume. And then they won second place. And after they won second place, they had numerous people coming up to them saying, you should have won. And <laughs> like, I voted for you. I thought your costume was better. And, and people were posing for pictures with them. And so for her, it was more like discovering, oh, I'm not a sci-fi writer, but I like costuming. You know, and that's, that's how it has to be. Just because Zach likes to write sci-fi, it doesn't necessarily mean that she's going to like to write sci-fi. So letting them explore and try different things and see what brings them joy and causes them to flourish. Yep. So about five years ago, our oldest started getting involved in musical theater, and she's played a variety of roles and learned acting and singing and dancing. And actually, before this, she was in dance classes, and then we just uh, didn't feel like that was the right path for her. But the theater program is great because it's a Christian program, and uh, by the way, yes. we've had the director of this program on the show, Julie Novak. We'll link yes. to that episode in the show notes, or you can search for uh, CYT or Christian Youth Theater in our on our website to find that episode. Naomi and I both have have encouraged our oldest and our middle daughter as well, who's in who's in the, the theater program, to really pursue excellence in all that they do and perseverance. Um, so Naomi can talk more about the kind of the excellence aspect. Uh, you know, as a dad, it's kind of my job to say, now ah, you got to rub some dirt in it sometimes, or you just got to toughen it up. And actually, just before uh, we recorded, we uh, had to have a conversation with her oldest because they're they're doing a show right now, and she's working on the backstage crew, and she unfortunately sprained a couple of her fingers, and she's trying to figure out what to do about this. So we said, okay, well, you can try this or that to feel better. But I said, look, you know, this is what it means. The show must go on that you have to persevere. Either you have to get it done, you have to find that strength within you to get through it, or you have to find someone else to cover for you. Uh, One way or the other, the show has to go on. And so, you know, think about if this is what you want to do. I mean, right now it's kind of a safe time to, to try and fail or experiment or, you know, have different experiences or reactions. 
Uh, but actually, from the very beginning, she's had a number of shows that were very challenging in this way. She came down with the flu when she uh, had a starring role. This in the was before Willy COVID. Yeah, this before and you COVID. could be sick backstage. <laughs> and she gave That's it right. to the whole cast. Yeah, you didn't have to wear a mask. Or take <laughs> right, a there were tests. no masks. Yeah. 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 And then after the show, everybody got sick. Yeah. And, you know, it was interesting because even other other parents are like, you know, let's just go get you some Tylenol or whatever to get you through this. But um, but those were also great learning experiences because, again, she had to decide, is this worth it? You know, is going through this hardship, this trial, this pain, this uncomfortableness, just all the hard work that goes into this, is it worth it? And, you know, that's what we've always asked them. Our middle daughter did gymnastics for a long time. And, you know, and, and this was always a question we came up with, like, look, we can keep working at this if you want. Just recognize it's going to take hard and painful work sometimes. But this is the time to decide if that's what you want to do. Now our, our youngest kids, they love storytelling through play. And their big fandom is Paw Patrol. So right now that is their favorite way to create stories they 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 kind of tell them live uh, improvisational style and sometimes we have to tell our youngest daughter to uh you know let our son tell some of these stories because she likes to uh kind of solo create those stories uh but we we like to ask them like oh what did your paw patrol characters do today like tell us about the story they made you know what was happening and sometimes they're just acting out something in an episode other times they're, you know, exploring some new, you know, Paw Patrol adventure. Yeah, more often than not, they are storytelling. And it's very interesting, the difference between our older two and our younger two. Because with our oldest loving costuming as much as she did, it was always dress up. It was always, and she has a famous quote where she says to her younger sister, I'm going to, let's play Cinderella. And her younger sister says, okay, I'll be Cinderella and you be everyone else. And her younger sister says, okay. And it was just was a wonderful compliant younger sister and let our oldest just kind of create the entire world. But they were always dressing up. But our younger two, they really like the action figures. That's very, very important to them. And um, and they play more with the toys, but they are absolutely creating their own stories. As I eavesdrop on them, I hardly ever hear them parroting a certain adventure. They're they're creating their own, and they have new. Um, like they even had this pup that I think was a leftover from like a Barbie set when our oldest was little, who they've named Rainbow, and Rainbow is our daughter, our third daughter's favorite pup. She loves like Rainbow to be the central character in whatever story she's created. And then she takes the dog she sleeps with and that dog becomes another character as well. And so they're just, um, they're storytelling. And I can see, even though like writing a science fiction story was not a good fit for our oldest, I can see it being a really good fit for our third because she loves to create these stories and she's doing that through play. Yeah. And I've sat down with each of the kids and kind of given them the basics of storytelling a little more advanced, you know, the older they get, but that's also helped them to understand like, Hey, there's, there's kind of a science to this. I mean, there's an art, but there's also a science to storytelling. And here's a book you can read, or here's a video we can watch. And here's some kind of fundamentals that you can learn. Now we mentioned piano playing. Our youngest daughter has picked up the ukulele 
Uh, my mom actually had a ukulele laying around that she let our daughter borrow, and so she's experimenting with that. She didn't really love playing piano, so we're like, okay, well, let's try something else. And our son also likes to play the djembe, which Naomi has one now. That that was a kind of a fun COVID experiment uh, musical instrument, I think. Yeah, so I want to say that I could see our third daughter really unhappy on the piano where her younger brother is taking off and thriving our youngest, our son, and he's surpassing her and he's loving it and he loves to play the piano and she is not interested. She would rather read a book, which we're thankful for that she has now become a passionate reader. That's kind of a new thing for her. But I wanted her to find something musical that she loves. And she would go over to Zach's mom's house and always pick up the ukulele. And I have to be particular. It is not ukulele, not ukulele. It's ukulele. (laughs) She would pick up the ukulele and, and just strum it. And she wants to create her own songs on it. And so She's borrowing it right now. She's asked for her own, and we're going to see if this is something, you know, she wants to take lessons, and for her to kind of have her own instrument and her own outlet and something that she doesn't have to compete because she and her younger brother are very competitive, you know, letting her find her own thing that she's interested in. And I want to say, too, like, just because I love theater, and I would love all of my kids to be on stage, and Zach loves, you know, sci-fi, and he wants all of them to be sci-fi writers like we we don't want to pressure them to love the same arts that we do like i really have enjoyed my oldest and coaching her in theater and now as my second has gotten into it i've really enjoyed that and being able to help them improve on their performances but i remember when my oldest did a solo for the first time for her vocal class her younger sister our second daughter leaned over and whispered in my ear i could never do that and it's Ironic because now she's the one bursting out into song and she had a solo in the last play and she's come so far and gained so much confidence. But I said to her in that moment, you don't have to. And I don't ever want my kids to all feel pressured of like, well, mom loves theater so and our oldest sister loves theater, so I have to do theater. You know, we want them to try different things. We want to encourage them, help them to find something artistic that they love. Because even if you are a STEM math loving person like me, there's still a need for an artistic outlet there. And we're seeing our third daughter just starting to thrive with the ukulele, which makes me happy because it's a bit of my culture as well. Um, And so that makes me happy because I love to hear it being strummed because I grew up playing one. Everyone grew up playing one in Hawaii. Yeah. Yeah. There is a lot of singing in our house at all times. In fact, um, my vocabulary has shrunk a lot because pretty much any word or sentence that is part of a song, I try to avoid now because otherwise it prompts all the singing. So the latest uh, show that our kids did was wizard of Oz and, now I can't say the word somewhere because then we get that famous song <laughs> after yes. that. Um, but yeah, another thing that we do to encourage uh, creation and storytelling in the arts is I regularly take our kids on book dates uh, to the bookstore. So I one of my favorite places to go is Half Price Books. And most of the time I just go there and look at books. I don't always buy something. But I just like to be in bookstores and I like to normalize that as a fun place to go. For our kids, you know, we don't ever treat books like a punishment. And maybe to you, our listener, that sounds weird, but I know parents that do this that say, go to your room and read a book. 
when they're being punished. And I just, I never want to associate books with punishment. Yeah. On the other hand, like it, I, I want to do the exact opposite. And I do do the opposite. Yeah, and, and associate books with uh, fun times with, with, yeah. you know, with love and pretty much every birthday or Christmas, we are giving them books as gifts. Now, Naomi being the smart person she is with the cum laude graduation in engineering, uh, she's figured out, Hey, you can save a lot of money by going to this thing called the library. <laughs> yes. It's not rocket science. <laughs> To quote one of my professors who was actually teaching us rocket science at the time. He's like, this isn't rocket science. Oh, wait, this is rocket science. Um, but going back to what Zach was saying of not wanting books to be punishment, when our third daughter is being punished, I will take away books. I will say, go to your room, lay down on your bed for 10 minutes. You are not allowed to read a book um, because a book is not something that's allowed when you're being punished. And that way she sees books and reading as a privilege a joy, and not a punishment. Now, we mentioned that we aren't pressuring our kids to learn a particular musical instrument, but I do have a vision that all four of them would play something with excellence. Just one of my little secret dreams is that all four of our kids would play in a little band together when they get older. You um, have never told me this dream <laughs> that you want our four kids in a band together. Yeah, oh I guess my goodness. this is a total side trail. The Russell Four. Yeah, Naomi and I went to a wedding a number of years ago and all the siblings uh, of the bride played or sang beautifully. They were all mu- musically inclined and yeah. they did the... They did a song, like they did a worship song during the ceremony. I thought, man, that would be awesome to have a family that's musical. So maybe one day we'll see. But there was something else that happened early on in our marriage. We had some friends in Houston, uh, which we we won't name them, but if they're listening, they'll know who they are. And when they first got married, uh, they went to the wife's uh, family for Christmas. And uh, so my my friend, uh, his mother-in-law says, Okay, well, it's time for everyone to play a song. So you go first, and he had to sit at the piano and play something that, you know, he hadn't played in a long time, but he had to think of something right then and there to play for the (laughs) in-laws. And then each person in that family, one by one, they they played or they sang something. And, you know, it wasn't like they were being uh, evaluated or something. It's just this is a normal thing we do on Christmas. Everyone plays a song and i just thought well what a great thing to normalize that everyone's expected to play something uh so we we want our kids to be at that level with some instrument to some degree more than anything else we want the arts to be fun and we want it to be something that they consider as a lifelong hobby or even you know as a career Uh, we aren't pressuring them towards that but we you know, I don't really feel like people are pressured into the arts, though. I feel like people are pressured out of the arts. I yes. mean, there's just so, I mean, it's a, it's such a cliche in movies, right? Or in, in stories, it's like, oh, my parents want me to be a, a salary man at this business megacorp, but what I really want to do is paint. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's a tale as old as time. Uh, so I would just say, look, we, we all need to stop the guilt trips and the anxiety uh, the demands, like, how are you going to support yourself with that? Yeah. Have you thought about that? Hmm? So, you know, we need to look for what 
our kids enjoy. I mean, I, I think there is some, my, my theory on this, everyone has an artistic talent that they can develop because we are all sub creators with God. I think, uh, you know, and, and maybe it's like the parable of the talents. There's the one, the five and the 10 talents. doesn't mean that everyone's going to be a Broadway star, but I think that God wants us all to create things artistically. Well, I want to say that already our oldest is getting, or I am fielding comments about her. I'll tell people she's interested in studying musical theater at a Christian college, which I will say is very difficult to find a Christian college that has a theater program, much less a musical theater program. It's a very rare combination, which unfortunately is a reflection of how our Christian society does not value the arts as much as they value other things. But that aside, already I'm fielding comments of, oh, how is she going to support herself with that? What kind of a job is she going to get? What's her fallback plan? You know, and this is just the thing where I feel like we really have to trust the Lord with this and trust the Lord with her because she is very, as I said, a very gifted artist. A STEM career would be soul crushing to her and she needs to do something artistic. And, you know, whether or not she becomes a famous actress or not, she wants to do something related to theater. And there's so many opportunities for that. And I'm really not concerned about, you know, the money she would be making because we are we work for a non-profit Christian missions organization. We both have said no to the engineering paychecks to say yes to follow Christ. And it is a much higher value for us that she would be following the Lord and honoring him with her God-given talents than doing something that makes a lot of money. And I feel like we have to kind of push back against the American dream where kids are protect are expected to um, just choose the highest paying job that's going to make the greatest amount of money. Yeah. And, you know, just that sentiment of, well, how are you going to support yourself? Like who's paying, you know, for these endeavors, who's going to shows and buying music and watching Christian films or reading Christian books to which I would say, let's be all, let's all be part of the solution. <laughs> let's increase the demand so that the supply uh, can sustain itself. You know, let's be part of solving this, you know, let's invest in these things. Let's not just hope that it works out or kind of poo poo the idea. Let's put our money into these things um, there's plenty of things that we spend money on that we don't need and, and maybe don't really align with our values, but there are so many Christian artists that we can direct our money towards and, and be a part of their support. So our biggest prayer is that the Lord would guide our kids and the path that they take. And the most important thing is that they love and serve the Lord and they glorify him with whatever they are doing. Because we know that, you know, if God were to call one of them into being an elementary school teacher or a nurse or a doctor or a lawyer or a police officer with five big black dogs, which is our third daughter's current career aspiration. Um, I'm not so thrilled about the police officer part, but you know, if, if God has called them into that and they're doing that career for his glory, then we, we want that. That's what we want. We want them to be in the place where they are honoring him with their talents and where they have sought the Lord and asked him to open doors for them and close doors for them after they have found some sort of artistic thing that they really love. And it may just be, you know, 
it's a side hobby and it's something that brings them joy or it might become a career. But we'll never know if we are able to get our kids to become professional Christian artists unless they try a number of different things and seeking the Lord along the way and you know, talking always in conversation with him about what direction does he want their life to go. Well, now let's go to our mission update. We've got some great new articles that released since our last podcast episode. And we've got one article entitled How to Make a Left Behind Streaming Series that's actually awesome by Daniel White the Fourth. Now, this is a really fun article and it's fun to think about Left Behind Not is another series of movies, uh, with or without Nicolas Cage, <laughs> but as a uh, as a TV drama, I think that would be amazing to have that. And I think, as we've said before, we're entering the golden age of Christian streaming and, and filmmaking, uh, and because of crowdfunding and because of many other things like social media, being able to connect to the fandoms that are aligned with our values. So. Uh, Daniel's got a good roadmap for how that could happen. So check out that article. Another great article released is yes, men and boys will read if you give them the right books. And that's by James R. Hannibal. Another great article that came out very timely with father's day, just uh, barely in the rearview mirror. You can go to lorehaven.com to find, uh, other articles, reviews, news posts, podcast episodes, you can see the full review of Estuary that released recently. And if you subscribe uh, to Lorehaven's mailing list, you get uh, all the updates for free and you get to join our Lorehaven Guild, the exclusive community for fans of Christian fantasy and science fiction on Discord. Now we're going to go to the comm station. Commenting on episode 166 on YouTube, Victor DiGiovanni wrote, quote, as a Christian who is also a filmmaker, I can attest that if you limit yourself to exclusively Christian cast and crew, you will end up with a vastly inferior product. The cinematographer for the first season of The Chosen, Akis Konstantakopoulos, is an atheist. It can be argued that one of the big reasons why The Chosen made such a big splash is that the show looks incredible. It looks like a prestige TV series on the order of Game, Game of Thrones. That's Akis Konstantakopoulos. <laughs> Sorry, I'm butchering his last name. You get an exclusively Christian cinematographer, and you'll likely get something that looks basic and flat, like every dull, flatly lit, basic, faith-based film you've seen. I don't need to name any because it's true for all of them. The Chosen looked great and instantly said, This ain't your father's Christian content. As long as the people working on the product are doing their best and contributing their expertise to help the boss deliver their vision, then that's all that matters in the end. I challenge anyone to go through the last two seasons of The Chosen when the pride flag cameraman was involved and point out his influence. Great comment there, Victor. This was our episode where we asked more broadly, should Christians hire non-believers to help make fantastical stories? And we talked specifically about how The Chosen has done this and sort of the different opinions there. But yes, we think we can. And uh, Victor, that was a great answer. Um, a response I typed out on YouTube, which I'm just going to read here real quick. Uh, yeah, we're big fans of The Chosen. One of the reasons being what you stated, it's excellent cinematic quality. Um, I'm not sure if you listen to our episode, Victor, but 
One of the things we talked about is that a camera crew isn't hired to do the work of the church. Yes. Christian business owners are free to hire who they will, even for creative works that are about biblical dramas. And, you know, under the law, I don't think even a Christian Christian business owner can discriminate based on religion. I think that's only possible for nonprofits or religious organizations. But it is rather notable that an atheist cameraman is working incredibly hard for a show portraying a message he doesn't believe in. I mean, that that's just something incredible about that. And, you know, I think one of the things people are worried about, Naomi, is that there's subversiveness going on, that the, these non-believing cast or crew are trying to sabotage the show or torpedo its message or hinder it. But I don't see that at all. I, right. I see just excellent, hard work. And, and it always makes me wonder why. I mean, obviously they're getting paid, but why take this job and not another job? And I think there's something to be commended there. And it really just makes me think of Cornelius in Acts 10, this Roman centurion who's building the synagogue for the Jews and, and giving, you know, uh, giving to the poor, and God notices him and gets the gospel to him, and he believes. And so I gotta believe, or at least hope and pray, that that's also what's happening in these kinds of environments. That you know, Christ is being portrayed faithfully. Yeah, I'm sure he's being preached, and people are being impacted. And there's there's been a number of people part of the chosen that have come to the Lord because of it. Yes, yes. Well, and Victor, I want to just say thank you for kind of pulling back the curtain and confirming what Zach had said on the podcast. What we've said on this podcast is that, you know, we make short films for our ministry, and I absolutely agree. Like, you you can't do anything in this industry with an exclusively Christian cast and crew that is going to look good. But as the whole point of this episode is, we want to change that. We want there to be cinematographers who are believers who can do something as incredible as Akis did. Like we want to raise up the next generation of Christians who are able to do this. But at the same time, I also just want to say, I feel like this whole controversy is like social media wants to be upset about something. So here's some another reason to ch- attack the chosen. And people don't even understand what's going on, what the industry is like. People are talking about things they really know nothing about, the angry Twitter mob. And so I really appreciate you speaking in and sharing your expertise and just confirming what um, Zach and Stephen had laid out in the previous podcast. Well, you can send us a note to podcast at lorehaven.com, or you can comment anywhere you find Lorehaven. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. We would love to hear your comments, and especially about the topic today, how can we raise kids to value the arts and become fantastic creators of their own? Let us know what you do as a parent or what your parents did when you were a kid. Send us your note. Next on Fantastical Truth. It was the summer of 2008, 15 years ago, when a little indie book took the Christian publishing world by storm. That book was The Shack. And yes, it's a fantastical fiction one way or another. This story by William P. Young and Guess followed a man called Mac who sought spiritual healing from fictional representations of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. 
Among legions of readers, this went over well, and among leagues of critics, this did not go over well. What now do we think of the shack and its deconstruction of evangelical ideas and arguably Bible doctrine itself? Meanwhile, whether you or your kids dance, sing, act, write, or paint, make sure to find your joy first and foremost as a sub-creator with God. Explore the ways he has given you creativity and look for his leading in pursuing involvement or even a career in the arts. Above all else, trust and serve the Lord as we seek and find fantastical truth.